Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome to the inaugural show of the 10th season of Civil War Talk Radio. Today, we return to one of the war's most famous battles, the Battle of Gettysburg, fought by one of the war's most famous generals, Robert E. Lee, and his Union opponent, um, uh, who was that, Uh, not Grant, uh, uh, some other guy. We'll find out who he was and why no one remembers him as we talk today with Tom Huntington, author of Searching for George Gordon Meade, the Forgotten Victor of Gettysburg today on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you live once again from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, one night before a rare Thursday night football home game here in the fall of 2013. A weeknight football game has the whole campus in an uproar, but we're here not to talk football, but Civil War history. Uh, Although we're on campus, I'm speaking only for myself as always, not for the East Carolina University History Department or any other part of the UNC system. Likewise, my guest will speak for himself, and we will Uh, Having taken care of the legalities, get uh, to it shortly. This is uh, the first show of the 10th season of Civil War Talk Radio. There was, it is an astonishing fact to me, we're well over 200 episodes into this. uh, Something that started in a somewhat offhand basis in 2004 when I was asked to fill in for the, uh, the current host after the first four shows had been recorded. Uh, My first guest was uh, David Long, uh, Lincoln and Civil War historian, author of The Jewel of Liberty about the 1864 election. And uh, I'll try and get David back on maybe this season sometime. Uh, 
But it's been a long, uh, interesting road since then. Many, many uh, fascinating folks have been on the show. I've learned a lot from them. And looking forward to another good season this year in 2013-14. It's our first season at the Wednesday 7 p.m. time slot. This is uh, good and bad. It's a nice evening time. It's quiet and peaceful. No one's knocking on the office door. The email has died down. Uh, On the other hand, it means we are competing with uh, all kinds of other entertainments. Uh, My hometown Detroit Tigers are playing the Red Sox right now. And uh, on other nights, there's the syndicated reruns of Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune, all these things that will force my mother into difficult choices as to who to listen to on uh, a Wednesday evening at 7. But you're here listening. Uh, You found the new website, www.voiceamerica.com slash and a whole bunch of other things. Just Google Civil War Talk Radio and you'll be here. But I don't need to tell you that. You're already listening. There's also a Facebook page for the show. We recently crested the 300 likes number, uh, a pathetic number in the scale of the giant internet, but but pretty good for us here and reflecting just the tip of a uh, surprisingly large listenership over the years. Uh, lots of you have written, uh, sent interesting emails, show suggestions. And so we've got some good shows lined up for the season ahead. Uh, next week, Uh, Rodney Stewart will be with us to talk about David Schenck, an obscure but quite interesting Confederate. On September 18th, uh, Lou Major will join us. Uh, He was supposed to be with us last week, and I got my uh, signals crossed. As as Clausewitz says in war, everything is simple, but the simplest thing is difficult. The same is true in internet radio. Uh, But he'll be back. We'll be squared away for the 18th for September 25th. Sarah Risty Davis, the site manager of the CSS Noose, uh, NEUSE, the uh, Civil War Ironclad, now in Kinston, North Carolina, will be joining us. That ship has been uh, recovered and is now in a new facility, and we'll hear all about that. Uh, who do we have next? In October, we've got Stephen Rammeld talking about uh, discipline in the Union armies. Eric Jacobson on the 9th from the Franklin uh, Battle of Franklin and the battlefield there where he works and writes about it. October 16th, Philip Lee has edited a new edition of Company H, the classic memoir by Sam Watkins. And on October 23rd, Alan Gelzo will be with us to talk about his new book on the Battle of Gettysburg. I'm very happy to have Alan rejoining us on the show since that gives me... uh, an excuse to read his book, which I've been looking forward to doing. So lots of good shows coming up this season. I hope you can join us for all of them. Follow all the news about the show on www.impedimentsofwar.org, where webmaster Mark Gaffney keeps things up to date, tells us what's going on. And with all that uh, housekeeping behind us, let's get back into the 1860s, and our our guest today, Tom Huntington. He is the author of a book called Searching for George Gordon Meade, The Forgotten Victor of Gettysburg. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you. i got to say I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that uh, I'm helping you kick off the 10th uh, the, the tenth, uh, tenth season of the show, and I hope we can start it off with a bang. And second, I should say that 
as a native New Englander, I will be cheering for the Boston Red Sox tonight. Well, you're you're, you're welcome to do that. It, it's um, I, I lived in Boston for well, Cambridge. I didn't live in Cambridge. I lived in Brookline and uh, Franklin outside of Boston for okay. a number of years. That was while I was attending Harvard University. As longtime listeners to the show know, I never miss an opportunity. <laughs> To let people know that I have a doctoral degree from Harvard because you've got to get your money's worth while you can. And that's <laughs> about the only thing I get from it uh, these days. But, yes, I, I've been to many games at Fenway uh, as well as old Tiger Stadium. And, uh, well, we, these two teams could meet in the postseason, it looks They like. could indeed, yes. Last night was, uh, was a quite a tense and interesting game. So perhaps yeah. a taste of things to come. We, we will see about that. Well, I got this book of yours. Um, uh, I, I'm trying to recall how I came across it initially, uh, but I, I, I do remember now. Uh, listeners mm. uh, frequently write in and they ask uh, uh, with, with suggestions for authors or books or topics. And this past uh, summer, I got an email from someone uh, written not in – Civil War talk radio style, where people will write and they'll spell words correctly and you know, use complete <laughs> sentences, but written sort of internet jargon. You don't have the courage to talk about mead. How come no one has the guts to talk about mead on your show? And, and but written in all kinds of, you know, the inter- equivalent of a scrawl. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated. Like, it, it takes courage to talk about mead. <laughs> okay, I, I guess I'm lacking. Well, one thing then, I've I discovered there is a uh, a almost a, a a small but very dedicated uh, f- uh, band of followers of of General Meade, and um, uh, since the book has come out, I've I've run into uh, into a lot of them who are very uh, you know vociferous in their defense of of Meade and his reputation. I had one guy dro- he drove all the way from. Uh, Michigan, I believe, to come to Gettysburg for the 150th anniversary because he told me Meade is his favorite person in the world. And uh, I met another uh, young woman there who told me that uh, my book was her second favorite book of all time. Since her favorite book was uh, was David McCullough's John Adams, I, I, I took that well. But uh, people do think that Meade was overlooked and perhaps judged unfairly by history. And and I do get a lot of positive feedback from people who say, well, at last someone has has uh, has tried to set set the record straight. Well, it is it is good to to see that, and it is fascinating how how worked up people get over topics like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, when I got this book, when I I heard about it and I called uh, Stackpole the uh, publishers. When the copy arrived here, I will say I was hooked on the first page of the preface because uh, you mentioned, first of all, having a, a copy of the board game Gettysburg uh, mm-hmm. by Avalon Hill back in the 1960s. I have that game. I still have my old <laughs> copy of it from then. Mine is and, sitting right behind my chair right now, even as we speak. It was actually my parents, and, and I, I removed it from their house uh, last summer. <laughs> uh, wonderful. And, and then... Uh, the next thing you mentioned is, is Bowdoin College, and my daughter is a senior there this year. Oh, no kidding. Uh, so uh, I, I've spent a lot of time in Brunswick, Maine, and uh, I immediately thought, okay, i got to call this guy. We, we have uh, a lot in common. Uh, now, listeners to the show know of Bowdoin as the, the workplace of Joshua Chamberlain. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, 
did you encounter Chamberlain's uh, presence when you were at Bowdoin? You know, not that I can recall. All I knew is that uh, I was living in a fraternity house, and the the house across the street from us was was Chamberlain's former residence, which I, I did. I think I knew at the time. It was student housing then. Um, since I left Bowdoin, they have opened up a small Joshua Chamberlain museum there, uh, which the only time I was able to to get to Bowdoin to to check out the museum it was on a Sunday and it was closed. So I've never yeah. actually been inside. But I, I wasn't a big. Um, I did. I didn't know a great deal about the Civil War at the time. I was woefully ignorant. I would. I would say. And it took a while, a few years later, until I started to uh, to get more and more interested in the subject. Well, let me ask you about that. So your your background was was not necessarily in history uh, or Civil War history. One of the most interesting things about this book is it's combination of your personal journey and the history of, uh, of, of General Meade, which, even as I hear myself saying that, could put people off. It might sound mm-hmm. uh, precious. And I did worry about that, but um, I, I used to edit a magazine called Historic Traveler. It was, a, I thought, a great approach to history uh, because it was travel pieces. You, you, the writer would go to a historic site, uh, describe what was there today, uh, and describe what happened there, um, you know, perhaps hundreds of years ago, and and I just love that that melding of the, the past and the present, uh, because when I read about uh, historic sites and 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 I read about what remains, I always think, man, I would love to see that. Uh, I think it just gives you a, a personal connection with the past when you when you see the traces that still remain uh, in the present. So I thought this is the way I want to I want to approach this book. I want to do the the historic traveler approach to Meade's life. And I have to tell you, I worried about it from start to finish. I thought, is, is this going to work? Am I going to get the, the correct balance? Uh, are the, uh, the hardcore Civil War people going to jump all over me um, because I did this? Um, so I, I, I kept it, it, it reasonably, I thought, subdued. I didn't uh, tell my whole life story and and drag in uh, my personal baggage into the story. But I wanted to at least convey my impressions of, of what I found uh, as I made this personal search to, you know, to find out the story of, of George Meade. Well, I, th- I, th- I think you do get uh, a very good balance. It, there's a, an old National Geographic publication, a book called just The Civil War, Mm-hmm. By Robert Paul Jordan. Do you have any chance familiar with that? I, I don't know that. No. It, it. When I was reading your book, I thought of it because it's a. It's not quite big enough to be a coffee table book, but my parents got it for me uh, when I was a, a kid, first interested in the Civil War, and I was hoping it would be like uh, like Bruce Catton's Centennial History, which. Uh, for many of us, was our, our introduction and, right. and first ex- exposure. And it turns out it's more like a historic traveler piece. The author has contemporary photographs mixed in with period art and talks about his own experiences or visiting contemporary battlefields. And when I read it as a kid, I hated it. <laughs> like, get off the page. I want to hear about Longstreet and Hancock. I have no interest in your your stories. And then I read it again for some reason you know, as, as a young adult 10, 15 years later, and I loved it. It, I, I really enjoyed the personal uh, touch. So it may just have to do with the uh, the audience. It could well, be. And 
One thing that really inspired me was, was uh, Tony Horwitz's Confederates in the Attic. Um, I, I read that book, and I, I loved what he did. Uh, I was working in historic travel at the time, and I was thinking some of these chapters could work perfectly in the magazine, especially, I think, his chapter on Shiloh, when he visits Shiloh at dawn at just the same time as the battle began. And I thought it's just a, a great approach to, to not only the history of the Civil War, but also the repercussions uh, of of the war to the present day, and and well, I, I did d- d- discuss a little bit of the repercussions um, of the war uh, today in 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 the Mead book because I think that is a factor perhaps in in how he's been overlooked, kind of crushed by the weight of lost cause mythology. That that certainly does bear heavy weight on Civil War uh, uh, writing. We're going to take a short break right now. We'll come back in just a minute and we'll talk more about. George Gordon Meade, the forgotten victor of Gettysburg, with our guest Tom Huntington. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Tom Huntington. He's the author of Searching for George Gordon Meade, the Forgotten Victor of Gettysburg. We talked in the first segment about the genesis of this book. It's a 
history of Meade and his participation in the Civil War. Uh, we see the war in the East through his eyes, but also through the eyes of the author as he travels from historic site to site uh, where, where things happened in Meade's life. Uh, Tom, you mentioned as we were going out the, uh, uh, the, the book, Tony Horwitz's famous book, Confederates in the Attic, and there is definitely uh, a flavor of that. I, I, I did think of that as well. But that book was much more the author's uh, talking and obser- observing on, on America today and its memory of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. This really is a history of, of Meade. Uh, yeah. And, and you, if, if one is not... Uh, even people who've read a fair amount about the Civil War will likely learn something about Meade and his background. You went to every place in his professional career. It, it seems is the impression I have. The you, you start out on the Texas-Mexico border where mm-hmm. where he fought in the Mexican War. You went to Florida, to New Jersey, to his other pre-Civil War postings. Uh, what were you were you thinking you you would get enough it it seems like a long run for a short slide uh, to go to florida because meade spent some time there well you know, the the truth about the the florida trip is i was down there for someplace else and okay. I, I thought i thought it would be a great opportunity uh to visit the town called fort meade would because as a young uh, army surveyor he had had surveyed that site and it was named after him but um I I I was glad I did go because standing right next to the historical marker uh, explaining um, the the origin of Fort Meade and and who Fort Meade was it was named for was a a a monument to Stonewall Jackson um, who had actually been posted at Fort Meade uh, long after Meade himself had left uh, and did uh, almost nothing there except to get into a rancorous dispute with his uh, commanding officer, Samuel, Samuel French, uh, because Jackson thought that French was was had was displaying improper conduct towards a servant girl, and it was just kind of a a, a silly uh, little dispute that left neither man looking particularly good. Yet, it, you know, the, the sons of Confederate veterans felt the, the very fact that Stonewall Jackson had been here warranted the placement of a, of a, of a tablet. So I, that, that turned out to be, a, uh, I thought, a pretty valuable trip in terms of uh, looking at the way Meade is remembered versus the way his uh, Confederate contemporaries are, are remembered. Well, you, you pointed out in the first segment that there's a lot of lost cause baggage uh, in the way many people remember the Civil War. Is, is there any other reason that accounts for the mysterious obscurity of, of George Meade? For oh. the, what, what else did you find? Well, it was, it was almost like a perfect storm of, of events and, and, uh, and causes. Uh, and and you, can't, you can't leave Meade uh, blameless. I mean, um, his personality certainly played a, a role um, he was um, uh, he had somewhat I would say of a, a charisma deficit uh, he was unlike a McClellan who, who, who could ju- his men just worshipped McClellan uh, me didn't have that kind of charisma uh, even though he was obviously a very good general because he remained in command of the Army of the Potomac until the end of the war um, he was could be extremely cantankerous he had a legendary temper 
which quite often made him enemies. Um, and some of those enemies did uh, work to undercut him and his reputation. Uh, and the famous story is how he, um, a, a war correspondent traveling with the army, reported that Meade had intended to retreat after the Battle of the Wilderness, but only General Grant had prevented him from doing so. Uh, a charge that so outraged Meade that he had uh, the reported drummed out of the army riding backwards on a mule with a sign around his neck that said libeler of the press. Uh, as I say in the book, this is not at all a wise media strategy. Um, the other reporters got together and decided they would not mention Meade in their dispatches from that point forward unless it was in connection with a defeat. Um, so that, that helped um, helped put in the public mind the idea that Grant was in command of the Army of the Potomac uh, instead of Meade. So, so his personality played, played a part. Um, politics played a, a part. Um, Meade was looked on as a, a McClellanite, which in, at, in the beginning of the war he was. He did admit he owed his position to George McClellan. Uh, and George McClellan was the bête noir of the uh, radical Republicans in Congress, and uh, and they felt Meade had been tainted by his links uh, with McClellan, and um, you know the Joint Committee on the Conduct of the War uh, actively investigated Meade, and um, and his 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 actions at Gettysburg, um, which they seem to have forgotten was actually a Union victory. And his uh, pursuit of Lee, and the fact that Lee was able to escape back to Virginia, and they tried to get him removed from the army for someone uh, they thought more in tune with their uh, sympathies. In fact, they wanted to see Joe Hooker uh, back back in command. Hooker, of course, being uh, Meade's predecessor in command, um, and, and one reason being that Hooker apparently had no political um, um, ambitions whatsoever, which always. It's a good thing, as seen when, <laughs> as seen by other politicians. So politics played a role. Uh, the Grant uh, becoming general in chief and uh, taking the field uh, with the Army of the Potomac certainly played a role in eclipsing Meade's role uh, in in the the war. So all these factors kind of together uh, helped uh, obscure his reputation. Plus, he died at a, a relatively young age. He was only 56. Uh, he was still in active service. He had not written his memoirs, um, so he was he was given not given that opportunity to pre- present his side of the story. So it's 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 a whole bunch of factors at at play here. Um, of course, had he destroyed Lee's army at Gettysburg, had, had Lee not been able to uh, to escape and in, in over into Virginia, um, then I think we would certainly uh, remember Meade completely differently today. I have not yet uh, read Alan Gelzo's Gettysburg book, but I understand that he's uh, harsh on General Meade. Have you looked at that book or heard anything about it? I have not read it yet. I've, I've heard some wonderful things about it, but I've yes. also heard from, from people who, who like Meade that they think Meade is not treated fairly in that book. Um, I, I understand that that Gelzo believes that Meade intended to retreat from from Gettysburg. I do not believe that to be the case. Um, of course, the, what happened at Gettysburg is is fascinating uh, a fascinating story of Dan Sickles advancing without orders on on the second day and um, in Sickles. Uh, statements afterwards that uh, only by advancing forward did he prevent 
in advancing forward in instigating the fighting did he prevent Meade from retreating from Gettysburg, which I think is just a self-serving story that Sickles was was telling in order to to counteract his his very obvious blunder at Gettysburg. But I have not read uh, 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 Mr. Gelzo's book, though I I do intend to because I I understand it's beautifully written and uh, and 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 quite a quite a good book. He he is a, a friend and colleague and somebody whose writing has always been very impressive and uh, we'll have him on the show in in October. By that time, uh, you and I can both have read his book and we can hear what he has to say. Uh, so Mead at I mean, Gettysburg is certainly the centerpiece of Meade's career, but he had a, he, he worked his way up the ranks. He did. Uh, uh, he, he commanded a brigade, then a division. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was at uh, a lot of battles, uh, Second Bull Run, Antietam, Fredericksburg. The, uh, he was very much a regular army guy yeah he was a west point graduate uh, he was a he was a fighter um he was he was shot badly at glendale during the peninsula campaign uh, one your bullet hit him near the hip and came out his back another hit his one of his arms um uh he was still able to come back to his command you know before um second bull run where he again fought effectively uh, under reynolds um his men actually pierced the confederate lines at fredericksburg South of the town, everyone remembers the fighting at Marie's Heights, but uh, Meade was south of the town uh, and actually broke Stonewall Jackson's lines there. Um, he um, got a couple shot bullet holes through his hat during that fighting. Um, he fought at Antietam. He actually, um, when Joe Hooker was wounded, Hooker uh, turned over command of, of the First Corps to Meade, even though there are other officers who outranked Meade. Um, so obviously he he felt he was a a good fighter. So yeah, he, he except for First Bull Run, he fought in all the major battles of the of the Eastern Theater. So following Meade's footsteps, you kind of get a, a nice overview of 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 the fighting in the Eastern Theater of the Civil War. You do. I thought it was interesting at Antietam that uh as you say he he succeeds Hooker in commanding the the First Corps after Hooker is wounded. Uh, even though he's not the ranking division commander, he actually queries, are you sure it's me? I'm not the highest ranked. Yeah. And the answer is yes, and he's very proud of that. But after the battle, when they're reorganizing the army before Fredericksburg, um, and there's a vacancy to command the 5th Corps, uh, Butterfield is put in, yes. who is, and Meade outranks him, and I, I just thought there was a certain irony that Meade is very proud that he was put in over someone else's head at Antietam, but he's very bitter that someone's put in over his head yes. uh, afterwards. But he did actually go over to turn, he he was going to turn over command to, uh, and now I can't remember who it was, but it was one of his brothers-in-law, um, who he felt, um, I think it was, was Ricketts. Ricketts, Ricketts yeah. mm-hmm. who he felt, you know, should have the command, and he actually received a note from McClellan, I believe, from McClellan's headquarters anyway, saying, no, we want you mm-hmm. to take command of this. So I think he felt the proper thing for Butterfield probably to have done was to say, no, in fact, Meade outranks me. Uh, but Butterfield did not do that. Uh, it was Burnside, I believe, who promoted Butterfield, and Burnside, when Meade confronted him, said he actually was unaware of the fact that, that uh, Meade outranked Butterfield. Mm. And... Um, 
I'm sure it was a very <laughs> cold <tense> conversation. <laughs> but Mead was no. very ambitious, there's no doubt about it. And in, in, mm-hmm. in his letters, which were edited by his son and grandson, they cut out a lot of the the passages where Mead is 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 complaining about being overlooked and that he actually is complaining about Truman Seymour like sucking up to John Reynolds in order to get a promotion and he thinks that's very unseemly. And um he was ambitious but to a point I think he wanted to get command of a division and he would have been happy there and he ended up in command of the army. Now you mentioned uh, the letters uh the, the Mead papers are at the uh, Historical Society of Pennsylvania. Is that where you saw these letters in their raw form that that to have the things that you don't find in the published version? I saw them there, but I did most of my research through the letters at, at Carlisle. They have microfilm copies, ah. and it's a, it's a much easier uh, commute for me. Um, so and even though reading things on microfilm is, is, is quite... Uh, it's not quite as a, much fun. No, it is not <laughs> as much fun at all. Handling the original documents is, is an incredible thrill. Um, but the, the the letters were edited. Now I've heard them described as bowdalized, uh, you know, uh, uh, which I don't think is a fair accusation. I think that means like rewriting Romeo and Juliet to have a happy ending, uh-huh. <laughs> where, where the, the letters were not rewritten, but portions that may have cast uh, Mead in a more unfavorable light uh, were were cut. And and uh, but they didn't put words in his mouth or change what he was saying. So, we mentioned uh, in, in talking about people that he outranks or were uh, outranked by him. You mentioned Dan Sickles, who's mm-hmm. a, a, you know, a fascinating character in oh, himself, uh, and also uh, Dan Butterfield. Uh, Meade seemed to have a talent for making enemies of really good politicians in the army. He did. He did, and, and part of that might be because uh, Meade was certainly no politician. Um, he, he was a, a little too, I think, blunt and, and outspoken, and, and that did make him enemies. And, and it happened uh, too often, and, and it, it, perhaps he should have learned to bite his tongue a, few, a little better. But, of course, uh, Butterfield uh, was part of, and Dan, uh, David Bell-Burney was another enemy he made, because at Fredericksburg he had asked for Burney's support. And Bernie was not part of Meade's corps, uh, and he said, I, I, I need orders from my commander to do that. Um, so Meade went over and in no uncertain terms told him to send his troops up. Uh, an onlooker said that something like the language was strong enough to make the stones creep. And, and after that, Bernie was an avowed enemy of Meade's. And, and actually at Carlisle, the Army Heritage Center, they did have a collection of Bernie's letters. Um, where where he actually said that when someone told him he should support, send some artillery to support Meade, he said, I will not send up a, a single gun of mine. The Pennsylvania Reserves can be damned. So there was some obviously truth to that accusation. We're going to take another short break now, and we'll come back in just a moment, talk more with Tom Huntington, author of Searching for George Gordon Meade, Forgotten Victor at Gettysburg, when we return with more Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, 
VoiceAmerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Tom Huntington, author of Searching for George Gordon Meade, The Forgotten Victor of Gettysburg. And we've talked about the uh, peculiar obscurity that Meade uh, has fallen into for many people. Anyone listening to this show knows who Meade was and that he won the Battle of Gettysburg. But if you ask uh, some of your non-Civil War friends who won at Gettysburg, uh, I guess a fair number will say Grant or what was Gettysburg or something else like that. Uh, so we've been learning about Meade and, and from this book uh, I, I recommend highly that you uh, listeners get, get a copy and listen and, and take a look at it. It is really an interesting way to uh, refresh one's knowledge of the campaigns in the East uh, as seen through the eyes of this particular general with uh, a very lightly interspersed travelogue uh, as to what these sites are like today. Uh, Tom, before we continue, I need to ask, uh, because a listener wrote this in, 
to ask if you plan to update your year 2000 book on Pennsylvania historical roadside plaques. Uh, he says, I teach Pennsylvania history at the college level and would assign it to my class. I would uh, I would love to. I've actually talked to Stackpole about that, uh, especially leading up to the uh, the 150th anniversary of uh, of, the, of the battle. But um, they they opted not to do that. Um, it, it was a it was a fun book to do. Uh, it was called Pennsylvania Civil War Trails, and and looking through it, I can see how you know some one for instance one museum that I visited was still building. Uh, an annex, uh, and now it's there, and I'd like to be able to point that out. But uh, I'll keep I'll keep leaning on them. Maybe I can get them to to do something with that. All right. In in putting this together, what was the most interesting place that you visited? Well, there were uh, there there was they were all fascinating, but one that struck me in particular was uh, the North Anna battlefield uh, north of Richmond which actually there didn't really have much of a battle there because Lee's entrenchments were so um, so formidable. But um, it's a, a small state park now, and I was there late in the afternoon all by myself, and, and just the network of entrenchments that still remained were just, uh, just amazing, like chest deep in, in some cases. And it was just a, a very evocative place to be. And, and somewhat obscure uh, in terms of Civil War history, but if you're if you're passing through that area, I recommend you swing by and, and visit the North Anna Battlefield. I will make that a point to do that next time I'm headed that way. Uh, Gettysburg is obviously Meade's most uh, dramatic achievement. You know, thrown into command a few days before the battle, and mm-hmm. then. Uh, defeats Robert E. Lee, which exactly. most generals could not say they did. But there's also a moment at the, uh, not the Battle of Mine Run, the the non-Battle of Mine Mm -hmm. Run, a few months later, when Meade does not attack Lee's entrenched army. Uh, Theodore Lyman, one of his aides, says this is an incredible example of moral courage on, on Meade's part. If you're going to be fame, if you're going to be obscure, I guess uh, uh, here's yet another reason to be obscure. One of your great achievements is to do nothing. Mm. And a lot of people would would say that's all that Meade did, uh, overlooking Gettysburg. But you know, sometimes I wish that Ambrose Burnside had perhaps shown the moral courage at Fredericksburg not to attack a an, an apparently impregnable position, and and a lot of men died. Um, as a result of that, Meade did study what he was facing, and and as he wrote to his his wife that I was not prepared to throw away the lives of thousands of my men um, just because they wanted me to fight a battle. And he was thoroughly uh, convinced that this would cost him command of the Army of the Potomac, um, but but he decided to not attack anyway. And yes, I I would say that is an example of moral courage. Um, uh, a lot of people think he should have just attacked anyway, probably. But uh, it, 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 of course, and you, you can throw out the what ifs all the time in Civil War history. And, and you know, what if he had attacked there? What if he had attacked a day earlier at Williamsport after Gettysburg? Um, well, obviously, we don't know. Um, but it seems that uh, at the very least, it would have been a slaughter, a slaughter of you know thousands of people. After Gettysburg, that that's probably the biggest 
criticism of, of Meade's military career that having defeated Lee, he then allows Lee to escape back to Virginia. Mm-hmm. And even someone like uh, Abraham Lincoln writes a, a note of anguished frustration. You know, you held the enemy in the palm of your hand. Mm-hmm. And um, Lincoln thinks better than to send that note. Yeah. But, but he, he certainly felt that way. He did indeed. And, and he communicates it through Halleck indirectly. Uh, Meade gets a sense uh, was that fair to, to Meade, do you think? I, I think not. I think uh, back in Washington, um, it, was, it was easy to do that kind of, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking. Um, of course, when, when Lincoln is criticizing McClellan, I'm on Lincoln's side. When he's criticizing Meade, I, I, <laughs> I, I look askance at it a little bit. But yeah. um, I, I think people... Um, tended to make it a lot easier than it actually was to defeat Robert E. Lee's army. Um, obviously, it was a fine fighting force even after a defeat like Gettysburg. Now, a lot of people think Meade didn't even pursue Lee after Gettysburg, which, of course, is not true. Um, I, I wonder if the one decision that Meade might have wanted to take back was waiting an extra day outside Williamsport before... Um, attacking Lee's entrenched position there. Um, the majority of his corps commanders recommended that he take an extra day and and, and examine the positions closely. Um, perhaps he remembered when, when Joe Hooker out- overruled his corps commanders at Chancellorsville, they wanted him to attack, and instead Hooker retreated. Uh, so maybe Meade was thinking, well, look what happened when Hooker didn't listen to his corps commanders. Plus, he had the Army had suffered great losses. He didn't have John Reynolds. He didn't have Winfield Scott Hancock. He didn't have John Gibbon. Um, but uh, So he did acquiesce in their advice, and he did wait an extra day. Um, who knows what would have happened had he attacked. A lot of his officers did say that the, uh, the least defenses were the strongest they had ever seen. Uh, it could have been, you know, Cold Harbor uh, a year early. Um, and, and, you know, with what ifs, you can never be wrong. So um, mm. we'll never know. But uh, I, I do wonder if perhaps Meade, uh, in retrospect, had had wished that perhaps he had just attacked on the 13th instead of waiting until July 14th. Well, the uh, the way we remember these things, as you point out in several places in your book, is strongly colored by you know knowing what actually did happen and it's also interesting how differently union and confederate actions that are otherwise similar can be remembered uh, you mentioned earlier that, that Meade's division at Fredericksburg breaks through Stonewall Jackson's line at, attacking essentially unsupported mm-hmm. uh, on the southern end of the field and then eventually is driven back when George Pickett's division plus other units breaks through the Union line at Gettysburg and is driven back, everybody in the in everybody's heard of Pickett's charge. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Nobody's heard of Meade's charge, uh, or the other example you give when when Lee uh, at Spotsylvania is uh, tries to rally the troops in person, and the Texas Brigade shouts, "Lee to the rear! Uh, don't don't let him go out there and, and fight." individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knows that story. Uh, at least listeners to this show know that story. But very few know the Meade drawing his sword and, and literally preparing to lead a charge on the second day at Gettysburg. Yeah, which uh, is a, a great story. Um, 
but that's you know part of that that is is the Robert E. Lee um, you know legend and, and and myth and and how he's been ra- raised on a pedestal literally at, at Gettysburg his statue on the Virginia State Memorial is is higher than Meade's statue across the way on Cemetery Ridge and and I like to say that if you look at those two statues and you and you don't know who the victor was there you would say it has to be this guy on the on the tall statue um and and so Meade tends to get overlooked in in that that lost cause stuff but the story of Gettysburg on July 2nd is um he was he was on the lines um when when you know enemies like Abner Doubleday said Meade didn't leave his headquarters building um all day which is absurd and seeing that there was no one between him and advancing Confederates, he did unsheath his sword uh, with his staff somewhat nervously following suit and <laughs> looked like he was prepared to personally charge forward. And then, and then actually Doubleday's uh, men came up um, just in the nick of time, and, and Meade led them on, waving his hat, but onward, gentlemen, let's go, gentlemen, or something like that. Uh, it was sprayed with dirt from a from a cannonball that that that, that landed near his horse. Um, you know, incredible bravery, and he was very active, especially on the, the, the day two at Gettysburg, um, where where Lee at Gettysburg was surprisingly inactive, and 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 it, it always bothers me to hear people say, "Well, Lee, you know, me didn't win at Gettysburg. Lee lost." Uh, I just don't think that's fair to Meade or to the Army of the Potomac, which fought savagely at Gettysburg um, all three days. You mentioned, uh, as evidence of Meade being closely involved in the fighting, his his horse uh, his horse got shot a lot during the old, war. Yeah, poor old Baldy. He got shot at Gettysburg. Uh, he got shot at Antietam. Um, and eventually Meade sent him, sent him back home to Philadelphia before the Overland Campaign. And the great thing is, um, my wife and I went to Philadelphia when, when the um, the Grand Army of the Republic Museum in 